Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Noah from the First Galactic Podcast. We're actually doing something a bit different today. We are starting a new book. I think a few of you guys may recognize. Dun, 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 dun. We are starting Light of the Jedi, uh, some High Republic material. Thought you guys may be interested in this, so we went ahead and bought it. Um, I have no expectations for this. I haven't heard much about it. Um, you know, let me know in the comments what you guys think about it if you've already read it. But I'm pretty stoked. Um, you know, my growing up, my favorite part of Star Wars was always the Jedi, and of course, here we see four of them on the cover. Uh, so can't really beat that. So, anyways, without further ado, I'm just gonna go ahead and uh, start reading this to you guys, and maybe um, provide some commentary as well. I'm gonna start on this uh, this opening cover right here because it gives you some. Uh, background information i believe so here we go long before the first order before the empire before the clone wars jedi lit the way for the galaxy and the high republic it is the golden age intrepid hyperspace scouts expand the reach of the republic to the farthest stars worlds flourish under the benevolent leadership of the senate and peace reigns enforced by the wisdom and strength of the renowned order of force users known as the Jedi. With the Jedi at the height of their power, the free citizens of the galaxy are confident in their ability to weather any storm. But even in the excuse me, but even the brightest light can cast a shadow, and some storms defy any preparation. When a shocking catastrophe in hyperspace tears a ship to pieces, the flurry of shrapnel emerging from the disaster threatens an entire system. No sooner does a call for help go out than the Jedi race to the scene. The scope of the emergence, however, is enough to push even Jedi to their limit. As the sky breaks open and destruction rains down upon the peaceful alliance alliance they helped to build, the Jedi must trust in the Force to see them through a day in which a single mistake could cost billions of lives. Even as the Jedi battle valiantly against Calamity, something truly deadly grows beyond the boundary of the Republic. The hyperspace disaster is far more sinister than the Jedi could have ever suspected. A threat hides in the darkness, far from the light of the age, and harbors a secret that could strike fear into even a Jedi's heart. I've got a theory. Theory already, theory number one. Pretty easy. The Sith. Duh. So, ooh, this is pretty cool. Alright, now we're getting into it. This is what, like, the first page looks like. I think that's pretty sick. Star Wars got, got some symbols there, like that, like that. All right, here we go. Star Wars, The High Republic, Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. And, ooh, we got some more intro stuff. The galaxy is at peace, ruled by the glorious Republic and protected by the noble and wise Jedi Knights. As a symbol of all that is good, the Republic is about to launch Starlight Beacon, that's in all caps, into the far reaches of the Outer Rim. This new space station will serve as a ray of hope for all to see. But just as a magnificent renaissance spreads throughout the Republic, so does a frightening new adversary. Now the guardians of peace and justice must face a threat to, the, of, to themselves, the galaxy, and the force itself. So of course this sounds great, right? Um, you know, the Jedi are and have been kind of viewed as like these godlike creatures um who keep peace and order but you have to wonder you know because of what we know about star wars and the star wars universe uh 
is that really the case? Um, are they, could they be um, repressing freedoms throughout the galaxy? Who knows? Um, I just kind of got that sense right now is that, oh, the Republic is so great and the Republic is doing all this and that. And it, it gives me the sense of like the United States, right? We, we all um, have kind of grown up thinking, oh, the U.S. is this um, this superpower that is just so fantastic compared to everybody else. But when you learn more and you get out of the U.S. and you travel and you see the world more, you really that, – that, that mindset starts to shift a bit into – you know, we're kind of just like everybody else. We may have a lot of resources, a lot of power, uh, a lot of money, a lot of freedoms as well. But there are some things that we lack here as well. So I'm wondering if that's similar to kind of what the Republic is um, in these times. And then, of course, it just comes out, um, you know, in in the Skywalker saga. Um, so here we go. We've got a timeline right here. I know it's tough to see. Uh, especially because I'm filming on my phone right now. But the High Republic, um, Light of the Jedi, is well before the Phantom Menace. And the, actually, even between Light of the Jedi and, and the Phantom Menace is Dooku, Jedi Lost, Master, and Apprentice. So that could be uh, uh, something cool to dive into. We get to see Dooku's story. All right, here we go. Long time ago in a galaxy far, far away with how many dots? Pop quiz, how many dots? One, two, three. It's actually four. Four dots. Light of the Jedi. Um, you know, I may just do a couple pages here today. I don't want to keep it, you know, too long for you guys. The Force is with the galaxy. It is time of the High Republic, a peaceful union of like-minded worlds where all voices are heard and governance is achieved through consensus, not coercion or fear. It is an era of ambition, of culture, of inclusion, of great works. Visionary Chancellor Lena So, Lena So. Yeah, Lena So. Is that it's on H? I can't even tell. Yeah, we're gonna do Lena So. Leads the Republic from the elegant city world of Coruscant, located near the bright center of the galactic core. And here we go, Coruscant at the um, the center of the universe. We'll probably get into the Jedi Temple there as well. But beyond the core and its many peaceful colonies, there is the Rim, inner, mid, and finally at the border of what is known the Outer Rim. These worlds are filled with opportunity for those brave enough to travel the few well-mapped hyperspace lanes leading to them. Though there is danger as well, the Outer Rim is a haven for anyone seeking to escape the laws of the Republic and is filled with predators of every type. Okay, so we've already got the outlaws who don't like the Republic on the Outer Rim. Chancellor So, gosh, I still can't tell if that's a B or not. It's um, italicized, but I think it's a B. Chancellor So... I mean, I think it's an H. Gosh, I can't even speak right now. Chancellor So has pledged to bring the Outer Rim world into the embrace of the Republic through ambitions. Gosh, I can't talk today, guys. Start that sentence over. Chancellor So has pledged to bring the Outer Rim world into the embrace of the Republic through ambitious outreach programs such as the Starlight Beacon. But until it is brought online, order and justice are maintained on the galactic frontier by Jedi Knights. Guardians of Peace who have mastered incredible abilities stemming from a mysterious energy field known as the Force. The Jedi work closely with the Republic and have agreed to establish outposts in the Outer Rim to help any who might require aid. The Jedi of the Frontier can be the only resource for people 
with nowhere else to turn. Though the outposts operate independently and without direct assistance from the great Jedi Temple on Coruscant, they act as an effective deterrent to those who would do evil in the dark. Few can stand against the Knights of the Jedi Order, but there are always those who try. Part 1. The Great Disaster And Chapter 1. Hyperspace. The Legacy Run. Three hours to impact. All is well. Captain Hedda Cassette reviewed the readouts and displays built into her command chair for the second time. She always went over them at least twice. She had more than four decades of flying behind her and figured the double check was a large part of the reason she'd survived all this time. The second look confirmed everything she'd seen in the first. All is well, she said out loud this time, announcing it to her bridge crew. Time for my rounds. Lieutenant Bowman, you have the bridge. Acknowledged, Captain, her first officer replied, standing from her, his own seat in preparation to occupy hers until she returned from her evening constitutional. Not every long-haul freighter captain ran their ship like a military vessel. Hedda had seen starships with stained floors and leaking pipes and cracks in their cockpit with viewport, ugh, cockpit viewports, lapses that, sp that speared her to her very soul. But Hedda Cassette began her career as a fighter pilot with the Malastare Solist Joint Task Force. Oh, that's a mouthful. Keeping order in their little sector on the border of the mid rim. She'd started out flying an income Z24, the single seat fighter everyone just called a buzzbug. Hmm, I kind of like that. Mostly security missions, hunting down pirates and the like. Eventually, though, she rose to command a heavy cruiser, one of the largest vessels in the fleet. Good career, doing good work. She left Malast JTF. Uh, that's a joint task force. She left Malast JTF with distinction and moved on to a job captaining merchant vessels for the Bin Guild, her version of a relaxed retirement. But 30-plus years into the military meant order and discipline weren't just in her blood. They were her blood. So every ship she flew now was run like it was about to fight a decisive battle against a hut armada, even if it was just carrying a load of ogre hides from World A to World B. This ship, the Legacy Run, was no exception. The hut armada, interesting. Okay, we may see. Um, yeah, I don't know how old Java is. Someone can do that research about Java, but may, we may see uh, Java's ancestors. Um, you know, the huts are gangsters, so uh, they've been around quite a while. Kind of like the mob, the mafia. Hedda stood, accepting and returning Lieutenant Jerry Bowman's snapped salute. She stretched, feeling the bones of her spine crackle and crunch. Too many years on patrol in tiny cockpits, too many high-G maneuvers, sometimes in combat, combat, sometimes just because it made her feel alive. Now this is pod racing. The real problem, though, she thought, Tucking a, a stray strand of gray hair behind one ear is too many years. That's funny. I don't have gray hair, but I have like this one hair that likes to stick out when I put my hair in a bun. And so I always have to tuck it behind my ear. So Hedda, I feel your pain. She left the bridge, departing the precise machine of her command deck and walking along a compact corridor into the larger, more chaotic world of the legacy run. 
The ship was a Caniff Yards Class A modular freight transport. God, why do they have all these wild ass names? Like, excuse me, excuse my language. No, kid show, beat that up. Um, why do they have these long, long names? I'm like, why can't you just call it a cruiser, a bus? I mean, I guess we kind of do the same thing. Like, I have a Toyota Highlander. That's only two words, though. Whatever. Um, so the modular freight transport is more than twice as old as Hedda herself. That put the craft a bit past her ideal operational life, but well within safe parameters if she was well-maintained and regularly serviced, which she was. Her captain saw to that. The run, so now we're shortening legacy run to the run, but we can't shorten Kniff Yard's Class A modular freight transport. Okay, so the run was a mixed-used ship rated for both cargo and passengers, hence modular in its designation. Most of the vessel's structure was taken up by a single gigantic compartment shaped like a long triangular prism with engineering aft, the bridge fore, and the rest of the space allotted for cargo. Hollow boom arms protruded from the central spine at regular intervals to which additional smaller modules could be attached. The ship could hold up to 144 of these, each customizable to handle every kind of cargo the galaxy had to offer. Hedda liked that the ship could haul just about anything. It meant you never knew what you were going to get, what weird challenges you might face from one job to the next. She had flown the ship once when half the cargo space in the primary compartment was reconfigured into a huge water tank to carry a gigantic saberfish from the storm seas on Tibrin, Tibrin, I don't know, to the private aquarium of a countess on Abrigado Ray. Head okay, wait, this this is kind of funny. A giant, gigantic saberfish. So I, I think it's always interesting to me how there's like alien species who can be fish-like or frog-like or whatever, but then there are still like the uh maybe less intelligent fish and frogs. I always think that's so fascinating and uh, kind of makes me wonder like how George Lucas made that distinction and how like, you know, George Lucas and Disney now um, both kind of make that distinction. But anyways, I'll, I'll keep at it. Hedda and her crew had gotten the, the beast there safely. Not an easy gig. Even harder though, was getting the creature back to Tybrin three cycles later when the blasted thing got sick because the countless people had no idea how to take, the countess's people had no idea how to take care of it. She gave the woman credit, though. She had paid full freight to send the saberfish home. A lot of people, nobles especially, would have just let it die. This particular trip, in comparison, was as simple as they came. The legacy runs... <laughs> now we got the full name again. The legacy runs cargo sections were about 80% filled with settlers heading to the outer rim from overpopulated core and colony worlds, seeking new lives, new opportunities, new skies. She could relate to that. Hedda Cassette had been restless all her life. She had a feeling she'd die that way too, looking out of viewport, hoping her eyes would land on something she'd never seen before. Okay, that right there, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stop. Um, let me see. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause this right there because I want to talk about that for a sec. She was restless and she had a feeling she'd die that way too, looking out of viewport, hoping her eyes would land on something she'd never seen before. 
with our platform, we want to bring in real world issues that people have by using Star Wars. I think this is a prime example. Hedda Cassette is restless. She's looking at what's ahead, hoping her lives will land on something she hasn't seen before. Tell me that doesn't sound like 95% of people who are always saying, what's ahead? What could be? I'm looking forward to something. The 5% of people that aren't in that category are the people that I would consider the Jedi of today. Those are the people that are in the present. So the Jedi caution against seeing the future, caution against going to the past, all this stuff, they want to be here in the present. And I think that's the lesson of today is that, you know, we know there's a big crash about to happen. So tomorrow is not guaranteed, but today is. So live today as if it's the last day you have on earth and, and live it to the best of your abilities, never looking forward to what could be, but being thankful for what you have. And with that, I thank you guys. We'll see you on the pod later.